This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Nikki. And I'm Mariah. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Body to Burial. Welcome back, everybody. It's August, and here is this month's episode. This is one of those occupations that we have been chasing hard because I feel like it's an obvious one, one that we always think of when we think of crime cases. We have a 911 dispatcher joining us. What also makes him particularly interesting to me is he is a fellow podcaster as well. He is the host of Music City 911, which is a fantastic podcast. He plays real 911 calls and walks you through the call itself as to why they're asking particular questions, the natures of the calls, why they're responding one way or the other, and kind of walks you through the thought process and protocols of being a dispatcher as you're listening to the calls. It's amazing. I'm delighted to have Brandon join us. Excited. Are you ready? I've been dying for this one. Yes. And he has the most amazing voice. So get ready to just be transported into that perfect podcast experience. (laughs) I have definitely listened to the podcast and I highly recommend it. So go at it real quick before you join us all the way on this journey. Music City 911. It's incredible. Definitely, you know, keep it away from younger ears. So if, you know, if you listen with your kids around, you might want to make sure you have your earbuds in just because some of the calls can be a bit graphic, but very interesting material. And Brandon presents it in a very respectful way and professional way. But enough about that. Let's jump into it. Let's bring Brandon on because I can't wait to get started and dive into this job. Okay. I'm excited for this one too. Right? There's so many movies. You know, we love movies. There's so many movies that have depicted this occupation as well. Like I'm thinking of the Halle Berry movie. I don't mm-hmm. know the name of it. I know you know what I'm talking about. Yes. And I just recently watched, I think it was an old one with Jake Gyllenhaal. As oh, what was that well. one? Yeah, it was, it was good. So I feel like this one is very entertainment infused all the time. So this will also be a good one where we can kind of peel back what is movie operator job and what is real life dispatcher job. So join us, buckle in. We're glad you're here. We're happy to be with you today and enjoy the episode. Okay. Hi, Brandon. Can you hear us? Yeah, I've got you. You get me? Yes. Loud and clear. Perfect. Okay, good. Thank you uh, for taking the time to join us. We're so excited to have you on. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me, too. Absolutely. Our pleasure. How I usually kick these off is pretty simple. It's explain what you do as if you were talking to a classroom of fourth graders. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I read that. That's pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) So if you were to uh, have someone in your house or out on the street or even in your classroom that had some sort of an emergency, they got really, really sick or someone was trying to hurt them in some way, something like that, you would dial 911. And when you dial 911, you get someone like me on the phone. And when we actually get it, we would determine if we need to send someone from the police department or from the actual fire department or an ambulance out to you, uh, something like that to actually try to help you. So that's kind of the, the 
fourth grade version of what I do. I love it. <laughs> My first question is a clarifying question. Just It's more of a technology question, I guess. So if I call in and I'm in such hysterics that I can't even tell you where I am. Do you guys get some sort of information poll that you can see in my location or do you have to get the person to tell you where they are? We always have to get you to tell us where you are, but that's just usually like a verification type thing. If you call from a home phone, like an actual landline, we'll get that information immediately. Uh, we know exactly where we are. But nobody really has those anymore. So there's still a few. It's mostly old people. Okay. I, ha well, I have one. Well, Nick Nikki's <laughs> had one forever. <laughs> She's old. I'm only, I'm only 41, but. <laughs> okay. You're about my age, but she I don't loves, have one. So you I must mean, be she really loves old for your age. <laughs> I like a landline. I really do. Yeah. I'm one of the old people that still have a, a phone and an answering machine. So you can leave me a message. <laughs> Does it have a tape in it? <laughs> you know what? I don't know, actually. I don't think so. I'm not sure. Well, if it, so. if it doesn't, you've stepped into at least the late 90s. There you go. She made me call her landline one day, and it was like being back in elementary, middle school. Her husband was going to pick up, and I was going to have to ask if Nikki was there to talk to me. I forgot what this panic feels like. It's so weird. Do you also have one of those like 30 or 40 foot uh, cords for it so you can walk into another room? I, I used to. <laughs> I used to actually because I had one in the garage, but then um, now I have the the wireless, you know, where you can go walk in anywhere you want. So I used to. I, I did. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had one of those when I was about 12. <laughs> Yeah, I did too. I just haven't stepped into, into the 2000s yet. I still like my landline and I have a good reason to have it. I have a handicapped brother who can't work a phone phone. And so when he's here, he needs to be able to call 911 on a landline. So that is my other reasoning for having a landline. Well, that's good. Is Yeah. Well, to go back to your question though, on the cell phone end of it, when you dial 911, you will, uh, we generally get, and it depends on a few different circumstances. Most people have it set up this way. It's, it's kind of standard now. Uh, you do have the ability to turn this off, but we get a GPS location from where you're calling in from. And it's generally pretty accurate. It's, it's gotten better over the years when we first got it. I'm wanting to say in 2010, 2012, something like that. It was the, the accuracy rating was like a 100 yard radius. So about the size of a football field and now it's down to a few feet. So that's a lot better. And that's a setting that we have to turn on on our phones or it's automatic. Most phones it's automatic. You can go into your settings and your location settings and depending on what phone oh, you have, obviously. just like enable your location setting. Yeah. Uh, gotcha. Just make sure that at least it, it's enabled for 911 calls and there's actually a setting on there just specifically for that. I just had that. I had to call 911 for the first time back in October for my son. He was having a seizure and I don't remember giving her my address, but I called from my cell phone. So that must have been already enabled because they came to my house and everything was fine and maybe she asked me I don't know because you probably get that all the time when people are in panicked and they were asking me questions that I can't even probably remember now that I'm thinking about it either they found my address or I must have given it to them but I don't remember yeah they'll, they'll generally ask your address as well because when we get the phone call in we will have generally and again it's, it kind of depends on the phone if it's a not brand new phone, like that came out in the last you know year or two, something like that, it'll 
take about 30 seconds for it to actually populate as far as the location goes. Um, some of the newer phones come straight in and it's got a, an accurate location immediately, but it's still a developing technology. And are you're connected with the police department? Uh, police, fire, and medical. I do all of them. I was actually originally hired on as a police dispatcher only, and we had a separate part of the building that had the fire and medical dispatch. So, but then we consolidated and now we do all of it. What's the medical? That's like if you fell down or it's not an emergency, like someone's breaking in. Yeah. I mean, anything, uh, it, it, if you're having a heart attack or having a baby, or we found someone that's not uh, conscious, not breathing, any type of medical thing that they would need an ambulance for, they would call and still get through to us. Oh, okay. So when a call comes in, are there standard questions that you have to ask every single time? It's call dependent if, um, and it's, it's also different from agency to agency as well. We did for the medical and fire side there for a while, we had a kind of a set, uh, standard of questions we had to ask. And a lot of them didn't make too much sense. We've kind of backtracked a little bit from that. We've still got a a series of questions that we can ask. We don't necessarily have to ask every single one of them, but things that are very basic, are they conscious? Are they breathing? Are they alert? Things like that. We ask every call as far as on a medical side. Now on the, the police side, it again, kind of depends on the actual call that comes in. If you're calling about someone who stole some, like say you're calling from a, a gas station and somebody ran out with beer yesterday, it's not important to get a description of that person. The officer is going to get that description of the suspect when he either gets there or they contact the the person that called but if it's something actually in progress police wise anyway you would always want to get the the same suspect you want to get their description if they're male or female what their race is what kind of clothes they're wearing about how old they are if they have any weapons if they're doing anything violent things like that are you at all familiar with the michael peterson case the staircase documentary it sounds familiar but I, I will tell you the truth like most of the big true crime cases a lot of those i don't know very well because i'm so inundated with true crime literally every day yeah every day yeah, yeah. i was just curious about that one because they were basically his wife fell down a flight of stairs in their home and there's speculation that he hit her with something or pushed her or something or whatever but on the 911 call they kept asking him like how many stairs and he was really annoyed at that question and so I was kind of like why are they asking him that what does it matter how many stairs she fell fell down and I was wondering is was that question possibly asked just to keep the person talking and maybe you just have no context of that because it was just you know a decision that dispatcher made but I was wondering if there is any sort of I don't know what you would call it but protocol comes to mind of like when someone's panicked and on the phone that you just try to keep talking to them to try to keep information or focus their attention. I mean, does that make any sense? Yeah. It again, kind of depends on both the call itself and the location you're taking it because in Nashville, we don't have to stay on the phone with callers. Um, oh, you don't? They, no. So if, if someone calls in and say they fell off of a bike and they think that they broke their leg or something like that, we don't have to stay on the phone because there's no necessary life-saving measures that are going to have to happen off, off of something like that unless they're like heavily ble bleeding out like as a compound fracture where there's bone visible and like a lot of heavy bleeding there's no reason for us to stay on the phone because there's nothing else for us to do other than talk to them and for something like this but as i said it, it depends on the, the location 
where he was at, I'm not sure where that is, but if he was at, you know, a smaller town, some, some of those places, they say, if you were on the phone with a medical, you stay on the phone with them period until the ambulance gets there. So that could be it. And I do know that there's kind of a distinction between what would be considered a shortfall and a long fall. And sometimes we even go past that for an extreme fall. So that may be what they're trying to classify the extent of the injuries from the amount of steps that this person had. Okay. That makes more sense. When you guys have calls that are just ridiculous calls, like they didn't get their chicken nuggets or something crazy like that, you what do you do with those? Can you just hang up on those type of calls or how does that work? We don't just hang up. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it, as, much, as much as sometimes yeah. we would like to, no, we don't just hang up. We generally go through a normal thing. You know, most people will think that they have to deal with the person right there that's right in front of them. And that's their only point of contact with the business. And that's just not the case. You know, you talk to a manager and if for some reason you, you don't feel satisfied with the manager, you can talk with the owner of the franchise or maybe even go up further than that and uh, just keep on going until you get something that you, you like. But most of the time, you know, they'll give you your money back or give you another order of chicken nuggets or whatever. If you just handle it the correct way. Yeah. Cause that's what I, I mean, that's got to take up time for real emergencies of people calling for things like that. That would be hard to just say, okay, bye. You just get your chicken nuggets and then hang up on them or something. Yeah. I'll have to send you guys a call about uh, something <laughs> just like that. That was uh, absolutely amazing. It was a woman who had a, a incorrect hamburger or something like that. People actually call 911 about this sort of yes. stuff? Once a week, at least I will get a call like that. And that's just me. There's, we have, um, oh my goodness. How many people we've, we've got, it's well over a hundred people that work in my center right now. So if, if I'm getting one of those every week, imagine how many times people call about that. It's very frequent. That's insane. And that always just blows my mind when I see that on the news, I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, how crazy and how annoying for dispatchers that have to listen to that and not be able to just say that's not a real problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's beyond ridiculous sometimes. Yeah. And what happens if say there's like a, I don't know, I'm in California and they had in San Bernardino, they had a big, it was a shooting of this at a social services place. And what happens if there's something like that and there's hundreds of people calling all at the same time? Does Are there always a line open? Does that not happen if there's like a big thing that happens and everyone's calling, 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 calling? Yeah, people, uh, they kind of think that there's this unlimited amount of resources when it comes to something like that. Like for us in Nashville, I would have to think, but I think we have somewhere around 70 or 80 actual lines dedicated for 911. And we, we might only have 15 or 20 people sometimes way less than that on the, the phones answering. So there's going to be delay. Uh, that's just how it is. And something I've talked about and I actually talked about it on my last episode as well is that most governments, they don't have the budget to actually have enough people in to handle a huge emergency. Most times they make it to where they have enough people to barely manage the amount of normal call volume that they have. I would love it if I could go to work and sit there for hours on end and barely take a call because, you know, we're waiting for this huge call, like an active shooter or a tornado or something like that. That's going to really, really bog down the system. And we actually have enough to handle that. And that's, you know, as a, as a tax paying citizen, I, I would want that as well. You know, but it's, it's pretty easy for a government to say, I'm sorry, we had a big incident coming through and that's what backed everything up. And that's really easy to say, but if you 
have a grandmother that, and I've used this example a lot too. If you have a grandmother that got her house broken into and got stabbed in the back and she was trying to call 911 and there was a five or six minute delay and she died while she was waiting because she couldn't get through. That's a horrible thing, no matter what it is. I mean, if, if there's a tornado that came through or not. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, that there would be like the grandma wouldn't be able to call because it would be that much of a delay. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's, it's something that happens. I mean, anytime you see some sort of a big, huge thing, I mean, it, and it doesn't even really have to be that big or huge. If you go on an interstate and there's a car that rolls over, like it flips and everybody on the interstate is going to call about that. You will get a hundred plus calls. Or if there's a car on fire, imagine that it's on the side of the road and it catches on fire. Almost every single person that's going to drive by that believes that they're the first person to see that and first person to report it. And they will call and we'll get call after call until the fire engine actually gets on the scene of something like that. We're going to continue to get calls on it. So we might get a couple hundred calls about a car on fire. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And that you have to tell them like, yeah, we already know they're on their way. Yeah. Yeah. That's generally if, if we've got the information, we know exactly where it is. There's no one else in danger. There's nothing additional to add into it. I'll just tell them, yes, we got a call about that. And you know, just kind of, I, I won't necessarily straight hang up with them, but I'll be very, very brief with them because I know that there's calls behind them waiting and mixed in those calls could be that grandmother. On a case like say it's the grandma that someone breaks in and she, you, she calls you, it's, there's no delay. It's just a normal day. And how quickly is someone getting to her from when she first calls you? Is that like 10 minutes? It depends on where the police are for, for us in Nashville and for most places for a real emergency call like that, the average response time, I think it's somewhere around seven to eight minutes. It really depends on where they're driving from. So, and a lot of people think that they just dispatch them straight from the station. They don't, they're as backed up as we are. We're going call to call and they're doing the same thing. So they could be, you know, if, if the, like our precincts in Nashville are pretty big. And if they're on the other side of the precinct and there's no one else available, they may have to drive. 15, 20 minutes to get there, even with their lights and sirens on. That's a long time. Yeah. And if you think about something else that this happens a lot, I worked midnights for three years. I've been dispatching for 23 years, but on the three years I was on midnight shift, imagine if you can, you're at home alone, no one else is there with you and someone breaks in your house. You hear the, the window smash, you, you hear stuff start getting thrown around downstairs and you have no idea what this person is doing, if they're violent or not, or if they're just a drug addict looking for money or what, but then you hear someone start walking up the steps and while you're there in your room, hiding under a bed or in a closet or whatever like that, you don't know this person is going to uh, try to do something to you violent, try to shoot you, stab you, rape you, anything like that. That could, any of that could happen. And police could be 10, 15, 20 minutes away. And a lot of people that call in like that, they don't have any way to defend themselves, whether it's a, you know, I hate to bring anything like this into it, like a gun, a knife, a bat, anything defensive like that. They might not have it anywhere close by and they're relying solely on the police to get there on time before something like that happens to them. Oh, that is so scary. I would be freaking out. Even just you talking about it is stressful. In that 15 minutes, say that scenario happens. Are you still on the phone with them the whole time that this is all happening until the police get there? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You are. Something like that. We stay on the phone until the actual police get there or they determine there's no longer a threat there. You know, if they're hiding under the bed, we'll, we can talk to them and 
if, you know, if they feel comfortable with us, they can talk as well, but you know, and we want to get updates, you know, on top of that, if you hear something new, if you see something, if you see what the person looks like, or if you see them run out the door or anything like that, that we can update the officers on to try to help catch the suspect and stop the crime. And most people don't really know how many houses get broke into. One of the, the things I've said to many people, I don't know if you, either one of you have kids, but if you have kids and if they ride the bus, generally, especially when they're young, you'd walk out and watch them get on the bus and make sure that nobody tried to kidnap them or anything like that. In Nashville in a three month period, we had two attempted kidnappings. Neither were for children and they were both just attempted. They didn't actually make a kidnapping and that same length of time. You think about house fires. I would imagine that both of you probably have some sort of a fire extinguisher somewhere in your house. We had in that same three month period, around 60 house fires, but house break-ins same period, 1200 in Nashville. What? And that's the same anywhere. That's an average type thing for anywhere in America. 1200. Yes. So wherever you're at right now, there are a lot of house break-ins. I can promise you. That is, I wondered about that. We have an alarm system and cameras and all these things, and it makes you feel safe. But I mean, who who knows if that's even going to make you safe. But we had a problem with people stealing, and it sounds so dumb, tailgates. So we got our tailgate stolen from our truck. And just even watching that on the camera, and it was outside of my house, it was like 30 seconds. They were able to get this locked tailgate, just boom, boom, boom. And then took off. I felt so freaked out when it was just outside of my house. Nothing happened. No one broke in, but someone stole something that is on your property that you think is never going to happen. And it's a weird feeling. I could never imagine in my house just how you described it. That would freak me out. Yeah. And you feel safe, but that's a big number. 1200. Yeah. It's, it's a huge, like I said, Look on your local police. Most of them have like some sort of a crime reporting or a crime map or something like that. And you can see how many times this happens. It happens quite often. Granted, most of the time it's during the day when people are gone and at work, but there are times that, especially now that people were working from home, that it can, it can happen the same way. You can be there and be, you know, face down into your laptop or something like that. And then you hear the same type of thing and it's someone breaking in your house. I always make sure my doors are locked after watching this. It was years and years ago. It was this mom sitting on the couch watching TV with her kids and she didn't have her slider locked. And this guy came in and just started beating her up and then stealing stuff in the house. Ever since I saw that, I thought, oh my God, how many times have I just been here unlocked sliding glass door thinking that you're safe and here comes this guy coming in it was just scary to watch it and ever since I saw that I always make sure my back slider is locked just because you never know yeah it scares me and you know on top of that I always tell people and you, you have a wide range of people some people have no problem with guns some people do have a problem with guns my thing is it it doesn't have to be a gun as long as you have some sort of a way to defend yourself if you get in that situation just something, you know, look around your room and think about, okay, if someone was to walk inside and they're not supposed to be here and they're, they are here to do me harm. What could I use right now? That's within arm's reach or across the room that I could just grab and use to try to defend myself. So just always kind of keep a, a thing like that in mind, just in case, or maybe map it out beforehand. And that's hard for you that has to sit on the phone with the grandma for the 15 minutes. You're not there, but I would imagine that your emotions and your stress levels just as high. Yeah. Like I said, there's at the point that you're at, all you can do is listen. If, if they tell you something, 
you know, you update the officers. That's all you can really do. There's, you want to rush out there yourself and try to, to help this person, but you can't. So really all you can do is just sit there and listen. And if they do get assaulted or worse, you still have to sit there and listen. Oh, I couldn't handle that. That would be so hard. Oh my gosh. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It's, it's very infrequent that something like that happens, but it absolutely can happen. And, you know, even worse, I've no joke, probably taken some way, probably over a million calls. And I don't remember, I don't remember a lot of stuff I took today, but I remember some of the stuff that I took my very first month that I was there in training just because they stick with you. One of the calls I took was a woman that called it was about three or four o'clock in the morning. And she said that there's been some guy that's been knocking on my door for the past five, 10 minutes. And granted, like back then, this wasn't unheard of because a lot of people didn't have cell phones back then. It was 2000. Most people were just starting to get cell phones. So if you got in a wreck or something like that, you would have to actually walk up to someone's house, knock on the door and ask them if you could use their phone. So that, that part is not necessarily that concerning, but it, it's enough that we started police out there. And for something like that, it's considered a non-emergency response. They're going out there with a bit of urgency, but without lights and sirens. She's obviously scared. She hasn't answered the door. She says she can't really see the guy. She's looking through a window and sees that there's a man there, but can't really see him. It's pitch black outside. And she says, well, okay, he's leaving the door now. And she's walking back to his car. And then he gets into his trunk and he brings out a backpack and then starts walking around the house. And while he's walking around the house, you could tell that she's getting more and more freaked out. She has no idea what he's doing. And then she went silent for a minute and then she starts screaming. He's setting my house on fire. Oh my God. And it was a, yeah, it was a, a guy who apparently had a gas can in a backpack and went around and doused her house with gasoline and then lit it on fire with her in it. And at this point, I don't know if he's going to be waiting outside and hoping that she runs out so he can hurt or kill her, or if he was trying to see if she was actually home and just wanted to burn the house down. Luckily at that point, he got back in the car and drove off. And at that point I could say, get out of the house. And when she did that, she actually figured out who it was. She saw the car and apparently she had some sort of a workplace dispute with someone and they found it was enough to set her house on fire. Oh, that's insane. Yeah. So it was a non-emergency while it's happening, but then you're talking to her and then the fire starts. Are you also talking to the police as well that where you're like, okay, now it's escalated. The house is on fire we got to get going now. Yeah. The way that we do it in Nashville and it's, it's different in different cities. Um, and the bigger cities, you'll have people that are only answering the phones and then you'll have people that are only working on a police radio. So with, with us, we do that. Uh, some of the smaller agencies, they have to do both of them. And sometimes they have to manage more than one radio and, and, you know, they're the only person. So they're talking on the radio at the same time they're on the phone with the people. But for us, we're just doing the updates through our computer computer system. It goes to the dispatcher. And at that point, the dispatch talks to the officers that are on the way and gives them the updates. Oh, okay. So you're not physically talking to two different people. No, 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 just the one. We're, we're dedicated to that one person when we're actually on the phone. I wanted to circle back really quick, just to the hypothetical grandma. So what happens if the guy comes in and he sees she's on the phone and he hangs up the phone. Can you call back? No, we don't call back at that point. The reason being, if for some reason, say like with a, with a cell phone, for instance, if it's in the middle of the night, you forget to charge your battery and it's at 1% and your, your battery dies, or for some reason you may hit the phone with your cheek and hang it up and you dial it back. 
the robber, you know, the burglar that's in the house hears that and knows someone's there and goes straight to where they are. So for safety reasons, we will not call back for that. But then someone's on their way and they're just going to get there. You don't know what's happening between those minutes, but someone's still getting their ASAP. Yeah, exactly. They're running lights and sirens as fast as they can. And believe me, the officers want to hear it's an actual real break in with someone inside the house, like a potential victim. They're just, they're busting ass to get there. When it's something like that, like someone's holding someone hostage, are you the one that's doing the talking and the negotiating or it leaves you at that point at some point and goes to a hostage negotiator? Yeah, it it just really kind of depends on the circumstance. If the hostage taker calls in by themselves and they start making demands, we're on the phone with them until either the situation is resolved or police say, go ahead and just hang up. We're going to call them back. That type thing. Same kind of tactics will work with a person that's potentially suicidal or something like that. You have to have a certain level of negotiation skills to keep them calm and keep them you know, just talking. That's the biggest thing is you want to keep them talking, keep them occupied. I didn't even think about that either is yeah. If someone's suicidal too, your day has to be the most wild experience. Every day has to be something different. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'll just try to think about today. Like we had some of the most notable calls and these are a very, very few calls that we had. We had a multiple car accident on the interstate where a a car rolled off the side of the interstate and went into a big tree line there. And they ended up having to get a, uh, what they call a boom truck with a big wire essentially to pull them out. That was one of the calls we took earlier on in the morning. We had a call from someone who said that there was a fully naked woman that was walking around the neighborhood and waving her arms in the air. And then a few minutes later, we got a call saying that that same woman had broke into a house and stole a hammer for some reason. And she was probably on drugs and or having mental problems, not really sure. Um, But then we had a woman who was reported to be beaten and robbed, uh, apparently happened on a Metro bus. But once we got out there, it turned out that it was not a robbery at all. It was a simple assault. And When police got there, the victim actually saw police and ran off. So she didn't want anything to do with whatever was happening. And that's like three calls out of probably, I don't know, 200 that I touched today. What? 200? Yeah, one way or another. Do you ever have a slow day? Like, what's a slow day? A slow day would be like the weekends, during day shift anyway. During the day shift on weekends, it's not usually that busy. Uh, Really? Yeah, if you're working midnight shift. You don't get that many calls, but the calls that you get are usually pretty serious. They're those break-ins and they're the drunken fights or people with real medical emergencies. How come during the day on the weekends? I would think that that would be like a hot time. No, if you think about it for Nashville anyway, in most, most cities in general, you'll have the main people that live inside the city and then you'll have the people that come in to work from the suburbs. So Nashville, the actual city population, I think right now is somewhere between 650 and 700,000 people. But during the day, there's anywhere from 1.2 to 1.5 million people in the city. But on the weekends, those people aren't coming into work. So there's not a huge level of traffic that's going on. There's not the wrecks that happen. Granted, yes, at night when people go out and stuff like that, and they have too much to drink and get into fights and things like that, that is a little bit different. But, and that does usually happen mainly on the weekends in Nashville, it's every night because we're, you know, party town. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say like almost like Vegas. Yeah. There's probably always something going on. Yeah. There's always something like that going on. If something like that happens 10 times in the night, which it easily does that and more, that's only 10 calls. 
So that's not that many calls. Yeah, compared to your 200. Yeah. I, I just can't believe there's that many calls that you have in one day. That's just your today. Yeah, yeah. Now, some days are a little bit slower. Some days, some people will get on a, a radio and not have too much going on. Some days, people will be on the phones and the same thing. It's it just, and it's really weird sometimes. Like, we'll we'll have a huge rainstorm that comes through. And hardly anybody gets in the wreck. And then the next day it's sunny outside. And I guess people are mesmerized by the amount of brightness. And then everybody gets in a wreck. Oh my God. Were you on my drive to work last week? Yeah. Because that was exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what happened. I, it took me almost two hours to get to work and I'm in California with all these rainstorms and the, during the rain was the best time to drive. Cause no one was, everyone was driving like a normal human. It was the next day and it was crash after crash after crash. And I told my friend at work, I'm like, I think everybody's just looking at the snow on the mountains and just, I don't know what their problem was, but it was wreck after wreck and for probably two days. And it was the sunniest days we've ever had. It was so weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's some days if it's raining, like the second the drops start falling, people will wreck all over the place. I want to circle back to the chicken nugget sort of thing. When you get calls like that, do you not giggle? Is it hard to not giggle and tell your friend that you're sitting next to like, oh, got a chicken nugget call today? Or can you not do that? Is it hard to not have a reaction? We don't have a sense of humor that we're aware of at the dispatch. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't you can't laugh on the phone at someone like that. Uh, I mean, after the call's over with, if you have enough time between calls, yeah, you may discuss it with your fellow dispatcher, but for the most part, we're so back to back that usually we're not even able to talk about it until either after shift or if we get a break later on. Cause I'm just, I work in a hair salon and sometimes crazy things happen. So maybe it makes sense. Cause while it's happening, we just give each other the eyeballs, like what is going on and then after they leave we can just laugh and giggle and talk about what happened yeah. <laughs> so maybe it's the same <laughs> uh, i had a guy that worked with me uh when i first started and he was hilarious his name was steven and he he had a way of doing just that like the whole eye thing like you said <laughs> but what he would do was essentially repeat yeah. the craziness that they said on the phone like he, he would be sitting there and he, he would be just as straight faced as anyone. And then he'd whip his chair around and look directly at you straight face and say, okay, ma'am. So what you're saying is you're uh, a goat, just raped your cat and, you know, and then just turn around like nothing was happening at all. So yeah, there are instances that's like that. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I like that. I would need that throughout my day. Yeah. we, And that, that happens pretty often. We'll, uh, I'd probably say once or twice a day, I'll talk to somebody that has some mental health issues. It'll say something crazy. Uh, this prompted me another uh, thought. There was a guy who said there was a man chasing him with a weight disc. Like you would put on a heavy bar to gym or something like that and was trying to attack him with it. And it wasn't actually happening at all. Yeah. You just, you talk to him and you get the police out there and let them handle it once they get there and you process it depending on if it's a, I would say like a frequent flyer type thing. If it's someone who calls in three times a day with the exact same thing, you're not going to process the call quite the same. If someone calls in the first time saying that their neighbor is shooting lasers through their windows, which we get people that say that all the time. <laughs> um, oh yeah, they, oh. the first time it happens, we'll go out and investigate it as if it's a real thing. And then the police will do their own assessment and try to figure out if they are mentally stable or not. And if they keep calling about it over and over again, you know, it's, it, I won't say necessarily it's the boy that cried wolf, but they won't take it quite as seriously because we always have other 
actual real emergencies to handle. Yeah, you must be talking about my friend's neighbor. The neighbor would call 911 like constantly on them saying that their cameras had x-ray vision. Yeah. And it was going through <laughs> it's going through the you know the stucco and they were watching her and the whole thing. And I I just it still blows my mind that there's a lot of people in every state like this. Yeah. Every state, everywhere, yeah. Wow. Mariah, you have a question? I don't want to hog it all. Oh, you're fine. I've just been writing mine down. Okay, this is one of my things where you had talked about you won't call a number back. But I think that this is something that I've seen in movies. So I just want to clarify that it's actually something that people can do or not do. But in a domestic violence situation, can you just call 911 and not say anything? And will you guys listen to what is happening and then make a decision to send a vehicle or an officer? Yes. That's something that for my agency and, and most agencies, if we get a, a call 911, we will listen to see what's going on. If there's nothing being said in the background, we'll have a kind of a discretion if we are to send someone out or to hang up on them. And because it, if you've been there long enough, you've heard sometimes uh, you'll hear something and I'll try to, I'll try to replicate it real quick with my microphone like this. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that. Can you hear that? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So that's roughly the sound of someone who has dialed 911 from their pocket. You can hear them walking, swishing back and forth, just like that. When you hear something like that, automatically, I know that's someone with a, a cell phone in their pocket. There's no conversation in the background, or if you hear, Oh, that'll be 3786. Okay. Here's your change. And it's like them at a grocery store, just buying stuff. We can tell it's a, a mistake and we'll hang up. But if we get someone who's on the phone and you can actually hear someone that's yelling or screaming or say, you know, stop hitting me, we're sending somebody out for that. But some agencies, even those swish calls or the, the calls for people who it's obvious they're in line at a convenience store trying to pay for their, their goods or whatever, for whatever reason, they still send them out. They, they won't investigate. And I mean, I guess, yes, there's the, the slimmest of possibilities that maybe they're in some sort of distress. I, I mean, I guess if you really, you know, think about it, if someone's kidnapped and they can't say anything at all, and they're just trying to do that. Yes. Theoretically you could do that if, but if they're in a public setting, there's no way to find this person and there's no way to identify them. So yeah. Cause they can't narrow it down yeah. right to the cell phone and that girl's pocket exactly or say it like a park or something yeah yeah so there's yes theoretically that can happen the likelihood of it is not outweighed by the amount of times that we get calls like that and i'm not joking a bit probably close to 30 to 40 percent of all 911 calls we get are mistaken calls really yes that's a big number too yeah yeah it really is when i go to leave work late at night i'll put my phone you know how you can press the two buttons and it'll pop up like where you just swipe to 911? Because I'm just like, I never know. And what happens if someone pops up behind me and then I could just swipe it really quick? And I mean, who knows if I'm in that situation, if I'm even going to do that, but it makes me feel better. To. Yeah, something like that. I mean, uh, some of the, uh, the, there's different things like it used to be that you could hold the nine button and it would just dial it like that. Or there's a series of button presses on some of the newer phones or even on your Apple watches and things like that. You can call 911 with different uh, means that way. And it's all supposed to be a shortcut. 911 was a shortcut in the first place. Instead of having to dial seven to 10 digits of a police department's phone number they shorten it to nine and they they specifically position the two on opposite sides of the key so it would be harder to 
mistakenly dial it. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's a fun little bit of history. I like that. Yeah, there's there's a lot of history with 911. Uh, the actual anniversary of the first 911 call was just, I think, a week or two ago, I believe it was. And it was two local lawmakers in Alabama that called each other on 911, essentially. And that was the very first 911 call ever placed in America. But it, it came about, uh, I believe it was uh, Kitty Genovese or Genovese. I don't know how to say her name. It was in New York and I think 1964 it was that she got robbed, raped, and killed. And there were 37 or 38 people who in some way witnessed the attack and no one called. And the reason that a lot of people say that it was like that is because at that time you had to have the full phone number for the local precinct, the correct precinct to call the police and actually get somebody out that way. There was no quick way of getting anybody. So all of them either saw it or heard it. Most of them heard it and no one called because they didn't know what the correct number was to call. So that's interesting. Yeah. In 1964. Yeah. Cause that, that just answered my question. Cause I was going to say, what did they do before that? But they would have to call or go to the police station if something happened. Yeah. And if you go way far back, you might actually just have to pick up the phone and have the, the operator connect you with the police. Yeah. Like in the, like the thirties, forties. Yeah. And that's if you had a phone. That's really interesting. I love history. So I, I love that little tidbit. That's awesome. So this kind of goes in with my quiet calls. What about kids calling? Do you get kids that call often? All the time. Seriously, all the time. And is it more for prank calls or they're actually calling because of real reasons? No, the calls that we mostly get from kids are a parent who gives a kid a, a phone to play with mm -hmm. and somehow they dial 911. And especially like with disconnected cell phones, most people don't know that if you have like an old cell phone, laying around somewhere in your house that it, it's not connected to any network. It can still dial 911. They can. I didn't yes. know that. Yeah. Wow. Really? Yeah. And if this is going back to the whole old person with the home phone. <laughs> um, yeah. If you had, if you have an actual landline like that you had at one point and it's no longer connected to a, a service, plug a phone up and you can still dial 911 from it. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. That's crazy. Yeah. I would say, uh, I was like, oh, I'll try that, but I'm not going to try Yeah, don't it. try that. I won't do that. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. I believe you. Yeah. So <laughs> that's crazy. Any of those work like that. So with the, the kids part, most of them are, it's a parent who's given a, a kid an old phone to play with. And as they're playing with it, doing whatever, I mean, they're connected to Wi-Fi maybe and watching YouTube, but it's, they're giving these kids when they're like two or three years old, they don't know what they're doing. They'll just start pressing buttons. They'll press the screen and somehow they'll dial 911. And then we hear them on the phone, just kind of giggling or, you know, tussling around the phone or whatever like that. And it's very obvious when you hear something like that, what it is. What if it's a kid saying that there's an incident or maybe it's like, oh, you know, I can hear my mom crying and she's upset. Are you trying to then get them to get an adult on the phone? Or do you take the call as if like they're the adult and you send an officer out? If they're saying that there is actual some sort of distress like that and they're genuine about it, yes, we absolutely take the call from them at that point. But if it's something that's pretty obvious that there's some sort of a prank call or if it's a misdial or something like that and it's a kid we're talking to, to try to verify that there's no emergency, we'll ask for an adult to get on the phone. And a lot of times that'll, that'll scare that'll the kids. Stare and, it. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, that, it just, it happens. Um, but that's something we have to do. We don't know for a fact that there's no emergency there until we talk to someone who's an actual adult. So, 
um, we'll, we'll talk to them like that. But if there's something going on, that's a domestic situation involving their parents or like a medical call, um, something like that, we'll take all the information from the person that's calling. Now I've seen this depicted in movies too. So I don't know how accurate it is, but if there was a medical situation, maybe my mom slipped and fell, are you coaching the child to go through and say like, can you hear your mom breathing? Can you, are you having them interact with the adult or that doesn't really happen? Yeah. If, if they can offer some sort of help, then we're going to try to get them to help. Something like just asking basic questions, like you're saying, are they awake? Are they breathing? Stuff like that. That's, that's enough to know that if they're at least doing that, then they're alive. And granted, it depends on what happened to them if they're going to stay alive very long. But most of the time, it's someone who's at home alone with their kids and they pass out, just like you say, or they fall down for some reason. And a child, most of the time, even if they're five or six years old, they're smart enough to recognize what's going on as far as if you were to ask them, is your mom still breathing? Is she awake? You know, things like that. They'll at least know that. Let's say I slipped and fell pretty bad or something and cut my leg. Uh, would you be telling the kid, okay, go get a towel to put on your mom's leg. Are you guys going that, that far as yeah. to like offer aid? Yeah. Now granted with, with something like that, it would be kind of hard for a, a small child to put enough pressure on a wound to actually stop the bleeding, but at least try, especially if there's, you know, the kind of bright red blood pouring or gushing out, you have to do something because they, they probably won't live by the time that the paramedics get out there. If, if nothing's done with something like that, cause that's usually a arterial bleed and it's something like that has to be stopped right now. This is going to be a, probably a stupid question, but I have a really quick one now that we're talking about wounds and kids and stuff. I love my dogs. And what if it's an animal situation? I've never called my for 911 for that, but does that happen? Like say something happened to my dog and I could call like nine, what? Two people like call 911 by a car? Yeah, maybe. I guess I don't know. Or someone stabbed him. No, the stabbing is a little different. Yes, because there's a crime involved with it. But if it's uh, you know, something like uh, oh, two dogs got into a fight or something like that, you, you'll have to take them to a vet. Brandon is telling you don't call Nikki. Yeah, don't don't call nine one one for it all. <laughs> but what if he got stabbed and it's a crime? If it's a crime, yeah, absolutely to call. But we're not going to do anything with the dog. We'll still tell you to, to oh. take it to a vet or. We'll have animal control or something like that come out and, and see oh, to it. Animal control. Yeah. You're going to okay. be the joke of the office that day. So do not call <laughs> with your dog problem. Yeah. When your dog sneezes a little bit too hard, don't call 911. <laughs> I'll try not to. Especially but, from your home phone. I mean, he is, <laughs> he is basically a person. So I just wanted to know what my rules were with that. <laughs> I, I, I talked to a woman today on the phone that she said there was a, a dog that was running out in the traffic and she was genuinely concerned about it. And yes, absolutely. That is something to be concerned about, but that's not something the police can really deal with because at most the police will go out there and try to get the dog off the roadway, but there's nothing that's going to guarantee that that dog's going to stay off the roadway. So animal control. And as far as a, you know, legal sense of that in Nashville, we have leash laws. So if it's a dog running around without a leash on, you know, yes, that is illegal, but it's not a criminal law. It's a it's what we call a municipality law, like a city type law and something like that. Animal control will go out there and pick up the dog. And if the owner wants the dog back, they have to contact animal control. And then they generally will have to pay a fine for it's, it's really small though, for a dog being off of the leash and then they get the dog back. Well, I won't call about my dog that settles. That. Yeah. What kind of training do you go through? Because I imagine you're dealing like on the spectrum, you have 
mental illness people, you have hysterical people, you have very aggressive, angry people. So you're dealing with this wide range of the general public. What is the process of training that you receive to become a dispatcher? Generally, you'll start out in class. Like as soon as you start working there, you'll start off in class and you'll have several weeks of training to learn really, really basic stuff, like how to code a call and how to use the computer systems, how to use the phone system, how to use the our medical protocols, things like that. I think it was a five or six week class. And then after that, you actually get assigned a trainer that you stay with for a month and you do a rotating shift. So you get a little piece of each one of the shifts. And if you make it past all of that stuff, you're released on your own to take phone calls. And then a little ways later, you will get a couple of weeks of radio training. That way you can actually talk on the radio with the police and everything. And then you start another three month rotation, just like the first time. I'll, I'll tell you, most people think that the phone calls are really hard and yeah, granted that some of them are really difficult to listen to all that kind of stuff. It is way, way harder on the radio than it is on the, the phones, just because you're on the phones, you're dedicated to that one person. That's the only person you're talking to, but on the radio, you can have anywhere from 15 to 90 police officers all wanting something at the same time. What? Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Especially if you get a, like really busy, you're constantly, you're nonstop talking and typing at the same time. And sometimes you're making callbacks to try to find out where someone is. So you've got your headset on and then an actual telephone on your other ear and you're listening to one to the police officers talking and you're talking to the person you're trying to locate where they're at and you're still typing and talking at the same time. So yeah, it's a big time multitask type thing. Do you get a lot of people that think they can handle the job and then they quit pretty quickly? Yes, It's a constant revolving door of employees that come in. Uh, I think in the time that I've been there, no joke, I've seen at least, at least a thousand people come and go. But what do you think the main reason is that? Is it the emotional aspect? Is it the multitasking? There's a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, yes, those things are a part of it. And probably one of the top things with it that, you know, if you can make it through call taking, generally you can make it in dispatch as well, but not always because it is very fast paced, whereas call taking is not so much, but you know, the emotional side, yes. Uh, the first time that you talk to someone who's been raped or you're trying to save their kid who stopped breathing overnight and you're giving them CPR, something like that might be a breaking point for someone. And past that, just the the workload the shifts because we're 24 7 we never close so someone's gonna have to be working christmas morning when every, your kids are at home opening up their presents there's always someone there so some people don't like that some people want to have a normal nine to five type job and on top of that the pay isn't that great when i started working there i was making i think nine dollars an hour oh my god oh my gosh yeah it there's no it's way. a little bit better now, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's still dispatch agencies that are, I'd say in the middle of the country, uh, you know, kind of rural area that are still starting out at 11, $12 an hour to do jobs. Like I've described today. That blows my mind yeah. because it's just, you can have your type of job and then you can work at a fast food place for the same amount exactly. for no stress. And that's one of the reasons that people don't stay very long sometimes. And that's one of the reasons too, it's hard to get people because most governments there, they just don't simply have the budget to raise the pay to where it really should be. You know, most people don't think about a 911 dispatcher in general because we are never seen. Uh, a lot of times you see us walking down the street and I mean, granted, yes, I do wear a uniform, but someone looks at me and they don't really know what it is. And you know, you don't even think about a 911 dispatcher at all until you need it. Well, I will say the woman who 
talk to me with my son. I even told her, I'm like, you are the most calming person ever. Your voice is very just you know, the same tone and it never went up and it kept me pretty calm. And you have a great voice too, where I can see when people call you that you probably do the same thing. You keep them at ease and it doesn't heighten the situation. Absolutely. It just, you have to, it's kind of case dependent. Obviously, if you have someone that's needing to be calmed down like that, yes, uh, you, you have to do different tech uh, tactics to get them to do that. And Sometimes it doesn't work and nothing will work. They'll, they'll be so hysterical that it's not going to work period, but you got to try everything. And there's other times where you have to raise your voice. You have to command the call. So it's, it's not always the case. That's more of a rarity than the other, but there are times where it's called for. Yeah. That's what I was just going to ask you if you've ever like snapped where you had to get a little snippy. I won't necessarily say snippy. Just like if you see a body worn camera for a police officer, when they run up to a suspect or something like that, and they start yelling at them, they're not doing that just because they're angry or something like that. They're doing it for a reason. They want to end the situation and, and command it right then and there. That would probably make people not want to do the job too, if they can't maintain their emotions and composure while talking to someone. I would think they probably wouldn't last long either. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another thing too. Yeah, absolutely. The people who can't keep it together themselves. I'll go back to the thing about a um, dead child, which I hate those like, like that really, that bugs anyone. Uh. But the first time that you get something like that, yeah, most people get overly emotional with something like that. You'll have an emotion. It's a correct emotion for anyone else. A normal person, that's the correct thing. The The biggest thing is after you hear that, if you can sit back down and you know log on the phone. And sometimes if you've been there for a long time, you take calls and it's just like that. And the phone's still ringing and you go straight from one right to the next. I was going to ask you if you can take a minute to like collect yourself and just take a breath, but you have to just move to the next. Well, it, if you have a really genuine bad call like that, we talk to the supervisor and say, Hey, I need to get up for a second and calm myself or, you know, something like that. But sometimes like I've given this example to multiple times, the difference between someone who is suicidal and someone who's actually going to commit suicide, there's a, a big difference. And I've been on the phone with a few people that killed themselves while they were on the phone with me. The people oh. who do that, they call in and they generally say, I'm going to kill myself. I'm at this address. Um, you can find me at this place. And sometimes they'll say, oh, tell my husband or boyfriend or kids or whatever like that. I'm sorry. And then they set the uh, phone down and then you might hear a gunshot or something like that. And I, I took one of those just like that. It was a woman who shot herself in the head and she said, you know, I tell my husband, I'm sorry. And then I heard the gunshot, you know, for me, I, I knew because I've dealt with those. I've been told about these and I, I have, have been through it numerous times before. There's nothing I can do to, to change her mind. She's going to do it. So at that point it, it was, you know, as soon as uh, the police got there, I just hung up the phone and I took the next call immediately. It was very normal. I, I won't say very normal. It's, it was something that I'm, I'm very used to and I know what goes through the mind of someone like that. They're going to do it. And no matter what you say or try to do, they're going to. Why do they call you? Is it because they just want someone to talk to, or is it because they're wanting someone to come and remove their body before their loved one finds them? Yeah. Generally they don't want to have someone come and walk in like a, a brother, sister or kid or something like that, walk in and find them. Another one I, I took was a guy who called in and said the same type of thing. I'm going to kill myself. I'm at this address. You can find me at the bottom of the pool. Then I heard oh. a splash and it was 
he had uh, tied some weights to his feet and he drowned himself. When she says that she wants you, you know, tell her husband that he loves her. Do you talk to the, the family afterwards? No, I, I don't do that. No. Okay. Cause that's what I was going to ask too. And do you get any conclusions on say grandma, let's just go back to the grandma and someone breaks in. And once you're done and that, that call hangs up and the cops get there and whatever happens, do you ever get a conclusion or you, you just never know what happened to grandma? A lot of times, no, we don't know because we've got these other calls that are waiting and we're not dealing with the reports or anything like that. We're just simply dealing with the one aspect of it. And sometimes that kind of sucks to tell you the truth. Yeah. You just don't know what happened to these people and you, you kind of want to, but after you've been there, after you've done the job long enough, it's a big deal for what happened. But as a dispatcher, it's not that big of a deal for you because you've done your portion of the job. You're finished with it. That would drive me insane. I like conclusions. I need to have an ending to a movie. I need to know what's going to happen. I couldn't handle that. Yeah, part. There's that would drive a me call nuts. I, took, um, I was telling someone else about this. Uh, I can't remember what it was that I was telling. But anyway, the last call the day I took on this, this one day was the guy that called in and said, his brother is suicidal. He is uh, stoned on something. He has a sword and he, he's going to stab himself in the chest with it. He's holding it against his chest right now. You know, I stayed on the phone until the police got there. And as soon as they did, I hung up the phone, logged off and walked out the door. What? I have no idea what happened to That's him. That's crazy. Can you even find out if you wanted to? It depends on the call, but most of them, uh, if it's a kind of a general call like that, we can look later on to see if there's a disposition that came with it. But those are very vague. It'll in indicate that there's a report made or someone was arrested or you know, something like that. Something very basic. It, they won't give details though. Has there ever been one that has just stuck with you where you just needed to know and you couldn't find out or maybe in the beginning when you first yeah, started? When I first started, I've told this story a few times as well about a, a woman who called and she had just been raped by a person, someone that broke in, taped her up and held her at knife point, And then and I hate saying it like this. Luckily her credit cards were stolen and they were able to track him down from that. And they got him, I think probably within a half hour, he immediately went to an ATM and started trying to withdraw money and the police called him there where it was going on. So that was a kind of a lucky thing where I actually got a little bit of closure on it, I guess. That was the first one of those I took. And like I said before, you want to run out there and help this person. I mean, this was a, a woman in college. She was roughly my age. I mean, I was 20 when I started. So at most might've been a year or two older, a year or two younger. So she was roughly my age. And I was like, okay, I, I want to go and help this person. I wanted, should I go and talk to her? And my trainer was like, no, you just, you've done your portion. That's it. The police and anybody else that's that's their job now that's hard i would i have the type of personality that i feel like every call i would just be taking it in and taking it in and taking it in it's how isn't that hard to just not no or you're so used yeah, to it just now really used to it and i've said before there's a certain point that you realize that your normal self that you once was it's not there anymore and i know it i know exactly when it happened with me we still had the fire department dispatch in the different part of the the center that I work in, I actually had a, a woman call in and she says, I've just walked in and I found my dad dead and he's laying on the couch and he's not breathing. And at that point, I'm just a police dispatcher. I don't help with medical at all. So I transfer them up to the fire department's dispatch so they can get an ambulance started. And generally with something like that, we would stay on the phone. We would mute the phone on our end and let the fire department ask uh, their questions. And as they're asking their questions, we stay silent and just kind of listen to see if we can pick up anything. If there's 
something it, it, this was a, a dead body obviously we have to go on it in the police department so we're going to send somebody out but we want to stay on the phone and listen for any indicators if there's something else like if there's a weapon nearby or if there were signs of forced entry or anything like that if it sounds like it's medical that's going to be simply just a dead person and they do still go emergency to that but it's handled a little bit differently the whole time they're asking their questions while this woman is crying her eyes out and you can barely tell what she's saying she's crying so hard i've got the phone music muted and i'm eating pretzels oh my yeah like not until after that call yeah. after the call was over with i was like okay that was kind of screwed up and you know i've reached that point but you have you have so many of those that yeah i guess you would get to that yeah that, point. that was pretty early on i mean i think i might have been there for maybe a year or two if that but if you're there just for two years and if you get 200 calls a day that's quite a lot of stuff happening and your two years as opposed to my two years at the hair salon. Yeah, yeah. That's a tough job. You should really get paid a ton of money. Yes, please tell that to my government, please, yes. <laughs> yes, right? Yeah. This kind of goes back to if my spouse committed suicide and they had called you guys. Are the 911 calls like public record? If I found out that he had called 911 before he harmed himself, can I request to listen to that call or how does that work? You can. And there are a few things that go along with it. Each state has a different law and even some jurisdictions, they'll have separate rules that go along with it. But for me locally here, if we were to try to get a 911 call, it would have to be approved by whoever the person over the case is. So if it's like a police case, they'd have to go through our, our person there. They would initially go through our agency requesting it, but the actual approval will come from whatever agency it's from. So if it's a police call or fire call, the person that actually does the approvals, they would have to review that and see if it's able to be released. If there's a confidential medical type thing, a lot of times they won't do it because of different laws. If it's an ongoing case that has actually some possible prosecution things that might sway one way or another with the, the call itself, they might not release that. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, Yes, you're using a public service when you call, so that is public record. What about if, okay, I'm still still on the spouse like train of thought. What if <laughs> I wanted to talk to you specifically? You took the phone call. I want to hear from you what my husband said. Would that ever happen or no? Generally not, and I'm kind of glad about that in some ways. Once the police get out there, they're going to have counselors are going to have a chaplain. They're going to have somebody like that to try to talk to you and, and get you through it. My piece of it is very small. Everybody has a small, but important piece and things like this, whether it's the, the police officer goes out there, it's the, the chaplain that responds afterwards or the person that's following the records of it afterwards, you know, after everything's said and done, every piece is very important, no matter how big or small it is, they're all important. But my piece in that is, is pretty small. And I've never really had that happen. There have been some things that, that have happened. Um, one of my coworkers got to meet someone who she helped birth their baby on the side of the interstate one time. There's another where a wife had to do CPR on her husband and he actually made it back and they got to meet. So Stuff like that does happen. It's just really, really rare. Okay. Cause yeah, I feel like, I don't know why this one is sticking in my brain, but it's like, if my husband 
hurt himself and you were the last person to talk to him, I would want to talk to you. Like I would stalk you until I found you. Like, (laughs) I don't know why, but I would feel like I, I would need that. I would need that closure to be like, you were the last person that spoke to him. What did he say to you? I would want to know. But you actually might not though. That's just, that's just the thing. Most, most people think, oh, I want to know everything. I want to know everything. Really. You don't say that he did shoot himself. Like you want to see where it happened and all that kind of stuff. You don't really want to see it because you're going to see your husband in some way that you've never seen him before in your life. And that's going to stick with you. But I guess on the flip side of that, how do you resolve yourself from responsibility? Because that person was like, please tell my wife that I love them and you're not going to do that. How do you not feel guilty about that? Or do you feel guilty? No, I I don't. Truth be told, and this may sound a little bit harsh. I wasn't the one that put them in that situation. That's fair. You know, I I didn't walk them towards the gun. I didn't make them pick up the gun and I I didn't make them pull the trigger. You know, the things that happened in their life made it to where they wanted to do that. And like I said, when you have someone who's dead set on absolutely doing it, there's no way to talk them out of it. Now, on the flip side of it, you have the people who call in and say, oh, I'm feeling suicidal. I feel like I might want to hurt myself. Yeah, they may be feeling that. They're not going to do it, though. They're they're wanting help. Those people you can and talk down. You can talk to them until the police or an ambulance get out, out to them um, or somebody who's made like a superficial cut to their wrist or something like that where it's to cry for help. They're wanting help. The other people, they don't want help. They know what they're going to do. That's so sad. How did you get into this? How did you decide that this is what you wanted to do? Uh, That story is actually pretty funny. Um, I was 18 or 19. I was working at a tuxedo and costume shop and had a a trip booked to Scotland. And it was for New Year's Eve 2000. And I had tickets bought and it was going to be like a big time. And days before I was supposed to go, my boss said, I'm sorry, we had somebody quit. I'm going to have to cancel your days off. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. You know, I thought about it for about five minutes and I was like, no, I'm sorry. If you have to fire me, fire me. I'm not going to miss an opportunity to go on this kind of trip to stay here and rent tuxedos to people. So, um, anyway, I I did that. And then when I came back, I started kind of looking for jobs and I talked to my dad who he was actually a a deputy sheriff, but in, in Nashville, they work a little bit differently. Um, they do mostly civil stuff and they deal with all the jails in Nashville. So he was a jail guard and he said, well, I've got a friend of mine who works in recruiting and they need 911 dispatchers. And he says, well, I think you might have the kind of right temperament for the job. And I said, all right, well, I'll give it a shot. And, uh, most of the time it's like a really, really long process. They were really needing people bad back then. And mo- when most of the time it might take months to get the job, it took me about two weeks and not because I knew anybody. It was just because they were that hard up on people and it just kind of stuck. I mean, but the, the hiring process, it is actually pretty long. It's pretty involved. When I started, I think my application was 20, 25 pages long. And then I had a series of tests to do past that, a psych test, a hearing test, a vision test, a a typing test, you know, just all kinds of little stuff like that. I actually had a, a lie detector test as well. So yeah, you have to go through all that before you even get hired. So is that tuxedo place still open in business? Nope, they are closed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they had to shut the doors when he quit. They didn't That's have right. anybody there. They never saw a salesman like me again. There you go. What do you think is the biggest misconception with your job? That's it, it's kind of hard to really nail down, but for the longest time we were considered on a national level and even a local level that we were just like a phone operator, just like a secretary type thing. 
And that's just simply not the case that just now in some States and it still hasn't took on all over the place. We are just now getting to be what's considered a first responder. Cause we really are the very first, first responder. We're the first person that talks to someone anytime there's a fire, there's a shooting, there's a stabbing, anything like that. We're the very first ones. And we hear sometimes worse stuff than even the police will find out like a domestic. There's more times than not that people will call in and they'll say, oh, my boyfriend's beat me up. And it's just yelling and screaming, all kinds of cussing on the phone. And then the police get out there, it's calmed down and they're like, no, nothing's happened. And granted they're lying, but they're not experiencing what we did on the phone. So a lot of people will just kind of have that notion in their head that we're just a glorified secretary. And that's just not the case. That's crazy that you weren't considered a first responder. Yeah. For a long that's time. Another thing that's blowing my mind. Yeah. Ours just changed last year, actually, believe it or not. You keep blowing my mind with all your facts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I could talk for hours about it. Believe me. <laughs> right. Do you ever have to go to court for anything? Oh, I I'm, had that question. I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> I've never had to go to court for anything at work, but the way that we do it generally, it's specifically to verify that the, the call is authentic. We have a quality assurance person who handles all the recordings for detectives and lawyers and things like that. And that person will frequently get called to court to verify the authenticity of a phone call. And that's about the extent of it. Now, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that at some point I might on a certain case, if I hear something differently or if I do something, but the chances of that are slim to none. I have one more question that <laughs> got me into one more. If someone say I called and I'm hysterical and I feel like you were mean to me and I called the police and said, this dispatcher was really mean to me, would there be an investigation or they would just listen to the tape and then they determine th that I'm crazy Well, they or not? Yeah, generally that whatever the recording is, that's the, the main thing with it. So if someone was to actually be a, a bad dispatcher or something like that on the phone, they'd start off with talking and asking the person what they believe happened or whatever. And then they'd go back and listen to the call and see if it actually did happen and see if they, number one, follow uh, policy. That's the biggest thing. Now, if they were just flat out rude and, you know, anything past that, they'll get in trouble or even lose their job if it's bad enough. That is my last question. I swear I won't bombard <laughs> you with another one. <laughs> I have a lot more that I could think of, but I'll spare you. Well, I'll, I'll give you a little something. If you wanted to learn more about this, I'll give you my podcast called Music City 911. It is me talking about 911 calls, which each one of the episodes I'll play real 911 calls on. I'll break them down, what happened in the call, what happened afterwards, if there is that information and the real 911 call aspect of it, most people get really shocked at that. I've played a wide range of calls, just about anything you can think of, some from here in Nashville, most of them from other places. My last episode I did was a nearly 30-hour standoff with someone who had shot two people and then ended up shooting his partner there in the house and then himself. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and it was and that's just barely touching what actually went on during that call. There were numerous 911 calls associated with it and a lot more details. Well, I just started following you as we're talking. <laughs> so I'm going to start listening to you um to and from my work. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah. Because this is fascinating. Get ready for That's her great. to email you a lot of questions. <laughs> oh, I'm, yeah, absolutely do that. I'm always up for that. So, yeah. I might. I'll I'll contain myself. But if it's something that I really can't handle, I might have yeah, to. Yeah, we, we might have to put a bed, like an over-under, like how many days until she sends me a, qu- a, a statement saying, oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. We obviously kept you way over what I told <laughs> I you we would. So I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's, no, that's fine. Yeah. I appreciate you answering our questions. Well, thank you. Thank you for talking to us. Oh, yeah. No problem at all. I, I had a lot of fun. This is good. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Cool. Well, it was good talking with y'all. Good to meet you. And thank you for everything, Brandon. Yeah, no problem. Thanks again. Okay. Question of the hour. Would you do the job or not do the job? No. I mean, no. I I don't think I could handle it. It's when he is describing having to talk to people while they have to be quiet while someone's in their home. No. Mm -mm. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. That's panic inducing. I feel like I would need like, hold please. I need to pop a Xanax. Yes. And then you have like three crazy calls back to back to back. Nope. Nope. Yeah. You don't even get a minute to like decompress. No. Mm -mm. Or I can't handle being the last person that ever talked to that person. Like those suicide calls. I can't. No. I can't. I can't. I I don't want that responsibility. Even if like you don't feel like it is your responsibility. Somehow I feel like that sticks with you that you were the last person to ever have a conversation with that person. Yeah. No, I couldn't do the kids. I couldn't try to tell someone how to do CPR. Uh, uh-uh. I could handle the, I got into a fender bender or my chicken nuggets were too cold for sure. You'd be great taking in a chicken <laughs> nugget call. I'd love to hear you actually do that call. Um, Cause I feel like you'd really handle that very well. That's the only thing I could do. Yeah. Please route all fast food inquiries to Nikki's line. Yes. Yeah. This one's a heavy one. Too much pressure for me. Yeah. I'm not calm in a panic situation. I'm the person with the like shaky hands and I'm looking for the more adultier (laughs) adult in the situation. So not, it's not me. Yeah. And then that's all day, all day. You're getting the craziest calls. Well, and then I think about just coming home because we're parents. So like, imagine doing all of those calls, having suicide calls, having break-in calls, what have you. And then coming home and your kids being like, what's for dinner? Yeah. I'd be like, no. Don't even talk to me. You don't even know the day I had. Nothing's for dinner. So I just, the work-life balance, the ability to like function after having a day like that. Woo. Not for me. Couldn't do it. But I mean, thank God he does. Absolutely. You know, and there's folks out there that, that they can do it. But yeah, no, I couldn't. I mean, I love Brandon's voice. I love his demeanor. I love everything about him. If I have to call 911, I hope somebody like him answered. Nope. I loved it. I thought it was great. This was great. I respect the heck out of him. Please go listen to his podcast. Like, follow, subscribe. It is amazing content that he puts out. You will not be disappointed. Music City 911. And thank you again for joining us. We appreciate you being here. And the last time I'm going to say this, thank you for your support and flexibility and grace that you have shown Nikki and I during our summer schedule. It really helps and we greatly appreciate it. And we are excited to get back into our weekly routine. We have some amazing guests coming down for you guys and we can't wait to share them with you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and we'll, we'll see you in September. Okay. 
Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at bodytoburial.com. If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time.